Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. you are about to listen to is entitled, Biblical Lessons Learned from an Abusive Marriage. It is not meant to be the definitive statement on this issue, but an opportunity for people to hear firsthand from a woman whose present understanding of biblical law allows her to understand her own past experiences better. The purpose is to give voice to a very real situation that exists both within the church and the society at large. Her prayer in sharing it is that the Lord will use it to bring others to his perfect word. I am with Nancy Wilk. We're going to talk about lessons from an abusive marriage. And one of the hard things about abuse is it's very hard to put your finger on exactly what it is and what it isn't. When someone is abused, we have to let them, if they're being honest about it, identify how they feel. I had an acquaintance who used to say, if I hit you, I don't get to say how much it hurts. You get to say how much it hurts because you're experiencing my hitting you. So the first part about abuse is that it needs to be identified as different from somebody frustrates me, somebody does things that I don't want them to do, and somebody is injuring me in a way that according to God and his word is not allowed. So Nancy, welcome. Thank you for having me. Nancy's currently happily married. Yes, I am. But we're going to talk about her experiences as a wife and mother when she was in an abusive marriage, one in which that ended in what I believe would be considered a godly divorce. Nancy, I'm going to let you give a brief overview, and I should let our listeners know Nancy's first husband has since passed away. Yes. Her viewpoint is important, not so much only for what happened to her, but the things she has learned as a result of what happened to her. Well, thank you, Andrea. I think to get a good start on how I found myself in this, in the situation of of being married to an abusive husband, we have to step back and start out with the family that I was born into and what the norm was there and what was experienced there. Because in the home, in the family, is where we teach what's right and what's wrong. In my family, my mom and dad, they were young. I was conceived out of wedlock. My parents felt like they had to get married. My dad was a salesman. He was going a lot. My mom had the responsibility of five kids by herself, and they had come from Catholic families. I think this is important because everybody was just trying to do the best they could. We didn't really have God's standard. We didn't really have a sense of clear instructions. What God says is right or what God says is wrong. And so what was right, whatever seemed to be working at the time. Is it safe to say your parents didn't so much plan 
their life together as husband and wife, as opposed to once they found out she was pregnant with you, they wanted to do what they considered was the right thing. Yes. They were young. They didn't have a biblical standard for their life. They were just kind of guessing, making it up as they went along. If dad was home and dad was drunk or not feeling very good, the standard was one way. When dad was gone and mom was not feeling very good and mom was crying and mom was upset, then the standard was another way. And so very often I was, as the oldest, permitted just to go to my friend's house and play or go to the park just as long as I wasn't in the way. Discipline in my house was that you had crossed dad or you had crossed mom. And so we didn't know what was appropriate. We just knew that we couldn't cross that other person. I was born in 1960. That was a time when sexual revolution and freedom and women could do anything that a man could do, only they could do it better because they were women. Men were necessary, maybe, but becoming increasingly less necessary. And I say that, you know, that was the perspective of many women, uh, the generation that raised us. Part of my education was in a, a Catholic school. Part of it was in a public school. But my parents were not observant Catholics. We went to church on Christmas and Easter Pretty much that was it. Some years later, when I actually did hear the, the gospel preached in a Baptist church, for me, the difference was like sitting in a auditorium, watching actors on stage pretend to eat plastic food. Mm-hmm. That's what my previous church experience had been as a child when I heard the gospel preached and had that experience of wrestling with God about these things, the difference was sitting down to a banqueting table and eating myself. That difference was from being a regenerate person. I think that this story is an important one. This analogy is an important one because I don't want anybody to walk away saying it's a Catholic thing or it's a Baptist thing or it's an Episcopal thing or it's a Reformed Church thing. It's not. When the Lord revealed himself, to me and began to really work in my life, the difference was that God had changed my heart. And how old were you when that happened? I was just shy of 21 years old. Were there situations you got yourself into or experienced or participated in that turned out to have been wrong? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because that standard was just sort of vague, there was actually the expectation that We know you're going to have sex. Everybody's going to have sex. Just don't get caught. And being caught meant don't get pregnant because that's the evidence. You did it. We know because you're pregnant. That proved hard for me because I did get pregnant with my oldest daughter before I was married. You know, when this happened, for my parents' generation, they felt like they had to get married. For me, there wasn't that expectation. I didn't have to. I chose to. Because I knew that I was a Christian, I didn't know a whole lot. I was like a baby, baby Christian. I got saved in January, turned 21 in February, met this guy in March, probably got pregnant in April, married him in June, and delivered a premature baby in December. And that was 1981. 
Wow. But I did know that God had changed my heart. God has me now. I belong to Him in a way that I didn't know that I did before. Right. Your story is not an uncommon one. No. Either you're listening to, people who are listening are either listening saying, oh, that's the same thing happened to my grandmother, the same thing happened to my mother, that happened to me. And it really speaks to the fact that the second commandment talks about the sins of the fathers being visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. Right. It isn't that God wasn't merciful to you, but your training was very deficient. And what you were trained in were not standards that had to do with transcendent standards that were true no matter who you were, where you were born, socioeconomic level, color of your skin, how tall, how short you were, things like that. And so by not having that standard, which I know now in your life, you understand that standard. Mm -hmm, right. The year that you got pregnant, you could have had an abortion. Oh, yes. But I you had didn't. A, no, but I did have a lot of friends that encouraged me to do that. The reason you didn't was that although you didn't maybe know a whole lot, that the Spirit of God was testifying that's not an option. The Spirit of God was very definitely testifying that he had not made a mistake. You see, I knew that sex didn't make babies. I'd had plenty of sex, plenty of sex, and knew that sex didn't make babies. I knew that God made babies. And the fact that I had gotten pregnant, there was just no explanation for it except that God had permitted a baby here. And the scripture says that all things work together for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Well, I didn't know much, but I did know that God had called me. It had just happened. And so I knew that this was part of his purpose. It hadn't happened before. Well, let me comment yeah. here and say that your experience shows that God makes himself apparent to those who he calls. Yes. In other words, you weren't looking for God to show you the right path. And at the point at which you sat at your banquet table, you became aware of the change that God had wrought in you. Yes. And there's plenty of times we can be certain about things. This is right. This is wrong. And we can't even articulate why. Mm-hmm. And that's that voice inside of us that is the Holy Spirit living within us. When you're being testified to by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is telling you things that you should do that would be easier not to do. And like in your case, that all your friends would have told you, oh, yeah, have the abortion. You don't want to have to deal with this now. You're young. You've got mm-hmm. your life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Right? But because you were responding to what you believed was right, then you got married. I did. I got married because he wanted to marry me. And so I thought, well, that's, that's great. I'll do that. But I also knew not to be unequally yoked. The Bible said don't be unequally yoked. So in this case... While I had known this young man for very long, I did know that he was a professing Christian. He had made a profession of faith as a child. So we were good. I believed in God. He believed in God. He'd been baptized. I've been baptized. Hey, we can proceed because we would not be unequally yoked. So you proceeded according to what you knew at the time. Did you both maintain going to church? 
Was this something that was a priority for you to continue to be instructed in the faith? Or did you feel like I got my dose, I'm good? I wanted to go to church. He real he wasn't even going to church. I thought that this is what God permitted. This is the this is the right thing to do. It seemed like getting married then would fix it. Mm-hmm. Marion didn't fix it. It tried to cover it up. Well, I often encourage young women to step deliberately into marriage rather than to fall in love. Oh yeah, because falling often results in you hitting the floor and hurting yourself, mm-hmm. or breaking something. So the idea to deliberately step into marriage means you have a plan. Mm-hmm. You have a plan. You want to work the plan. Mm-hmm. And if you both agree on the plan, then as bumps happen along the way, you can jointly amend the plan. So it sounds like what you were saying was the plan was the right thing to do would be get married, right? Because I want my child to have a dad and a mom. And and, and you grew up with a dad and a mom, no matter mm-hmm. how weak or imperfect they were, mm-hmm. it's what you were familiar with. Right. So at what point did you start becoming aware that not only was this not the best way maybe to proceed, but you did proceed, or it was the best way to proceed, but you still both had to learn stuff, where you noticed that his disregard for you was resulting in what you would label abuse. It started really early, even probably before we got married, only I didn't recognize it as as abuse. And maybe some people would not even use the word abuse. Maybe they would say other things, like it was manipulative. But let me just say, that's yeah. where abuse, if I say I have a toothache, mm-hmm. I can look at, you can look at me and say, doesn't look anything wrong to me. You look fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm experiencing the toothache. Mm-hmm. So whether the abuse takes on a manipulative aspect or a neglect aspect mm-hmm. or whatever it is, if we're going to define abuse as feeling injured in some way, mm-hmm. then without having to make any other assignment to it, let's acknowledge the fact that things were definitely not pleasant for you in terms of what you thought, what your expectations were, in terms of what you thought marriage should be. Right. One of the things that happened really um, pretty early on, even within the first year of marriage, he would do things that he would consider, he probably thought he was being bunny. At one point, he, as newly married, he wrote me a note and left it on the coffee table and said, I don't want to be married to you. I'm gone. And then he went and hid in the closet. I, I was out. And when I came in and found this note and I look around my house, he's not there. My assumption is he's gone. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, was devastated, left the apartment. I was going to his mom's house to see if he went to his mom's. He actually came out of the apartment and flagged me down and said, oh, well, I was just kidding. I just wanted to know what, what, what you would do. It wasn't funny. You don't do that. I think most people would agree that wasn't funny. So give me another example of how you begin to see that you guys are not operating off the same standards. Mm -hmm. Within the year, 
he was saying that, what if I came home and you had company and I didn't want your company there? What would you do? And I said, well, I don't know. I suppose that I would just, you know, tell him to go home. I'll see you tomorrow. And he's like, that's right. That's right. That's the way it has to be. So the expectation was his his way, it was his rule, it was his his kingdom, and it was it was his standard. Whatever he said goes, whether it was right or wrong, it wouldn't have mattered to him who that person was. There was another incident that happened before we were married. We were sitting in a car in the driveway and car drove down the street and came to a screeching halt and the car door opened and a naked woman fell out of the car and she got up out of the street and ran running past our car to hide in the bushes and i said we gotta help her and he said i'm not gonna help her i'll be accused of doing something wrong and my thought was what's wrong with you that woman just, that naked woman just got thrown out of the car in the middle of the street. And we're going to sit here and say, no, we don't want to assist her because we might be accused of doing something wrong. Now that's appalling to me. And at the time I was like, I didn't even have the confidence in myself to say, what's wrong with you? Right. So this gets us to the real heart of why I wanted to do the podcast with you. Because you were attending church. Yeah. You were attempting to learn God's requirements. But absent from that instruction was the law of God. Yeah. And that the law of God, that the faith that the Bible talks about in both the Older and the Newer Testament, is a faith for all of life. Mm -hmm. So it applies to your marriage. It applies to your job. It applies to how you spend your money. It applies to in a lot of ways, how you raise and educate your children because it it speaks to all those areas. But you didn't know that. Mm -mm. And I'm pretty sure what you were hearing was how a good wife submits to her husband. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that she doesn't question him. And so she's got this standard that doesn't give her any tools. If we think in the book of Ephesians, it talks about the sword of the spirit is the word of God. The sword is an offensive weapon, and it can also be a defensive weapon to get somebody to not hurt you. But when you take the sword out of someone's hands, or you never put the sword in their hands, Mm -hmm. then they're pretty much going to resign themselves to what they think the standard should be. And you're not the first woman who ever said to me, well, my husband used to make requirements of me that he, he wanted me to dress like a slut. And I said, no, that's not proper. But I was told that I should listen to my husband. That's right. You didn't have that. And so mm-hmm. instead of looking at, he's cruel. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not treating others the way he wants to be treated. You obviously had to adjust in your mind how it was okay for you to be submitted to somebody who seemed to have a total disregard for anything that God said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did get out of the car and go assist that woman, and we called the police, and they came and got her. Yeah, we're told that the husband is the king of his castle, and that our job is just to be kind of ornamental 
and to be the baby producer and the entertainment, evening entertainment. As we stayed married and I grew in thinking certain, having certain expectations of a husband. And by that time, a father as well. And a father, right? I think in his frustration of that, he didn't, I don't even think he knew how to handle his frustration of that, you know? He didn't like that my expectation of him would be, if you're a Christian, this is what God says we need to do. It it wasn't like my expectation was unrealistic. The expectation, as I began to look at God's Word and see what God says and grow through reading the Bible and the sanctification process in my in my life, there was increasing frustration. And apart from coming to the law of God and submitting to the Lord in your life, there is going to be an increased frustration. And how do you respond to that? Well, in this case, he would threaten to kill me. I've literally had a gun pointed at me fist punching thing, you know, where you draw back and double up your fist and punch and just stop just short of my face. He would create a crisis so that he could have an excuse to leave. would be gone all night long. Things like we had a, a child with asthma. He was a smoker. And even when asked, knowing that the child had asthma, take her with him in the car and smoke. And she would come home from going to the store, having been in the car with dad, and be wheezing because he couldn't even just not smoke with the asthmatic child. So there's things that it was just always about what he wanted instead of what his responsibility was. And let me say that it's easy to blame the man Sure. And there's probably enough to hold him responsible to. And I I know you know, and you've sort of outlined it, the certain ways you operated, you have culpability as well. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah. we have to say that the pulpits certainly have culpability because in failing to teach God's law, you have to somehow or other in your mind say, well, I, I guess I just have to live with this, that this is okay. And at the time, I don't think people were using the word abuse very much. Mm-mm. And if you spoke up against this yielding of raw power against you, and as a mom, you're trying to protect your children, you might be pregnant, you might be nursing, so you're in an extremely vulnerable position anyway, mm-hmm. that if you don't have an understanding of this is wrong and this is why it's wrong, and he's not being informed by scripture or by a pastor or by a community of believers that what you're doing is absolutely ungodly. A man is supposed to treat his wife the way Christ treats the church, not dominating. I mean, Christ laid down his life. Doesn't sound like your husband at the time was even cognizant of laying down his life. Mm-mm. Yeah. Rather than, like I said, put blame and who's the bad guy, I think it's important to realize, especially now that you do know God's law, that you could look back and say, those would have been red flags. I mean, if he was setting the house on fire, you would know to get out. Mm-hmm. If, but there wasn't a category for this because a lot of the sentiment was, 
if you object to your husband's rule, you're a feminist. And who, what church woman in the 70s or 80s wanted to be a feminist? No, we did not want to be a feminist. Certainly not. But the accusation was oftentimes enough to silence people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. We did eventually get to a point in our lives where we both went to church together regularly. And in this church environment, I was able to finally say to an older woman in the church, this is what's happening. That woman said to me, oh, no, no, that couldn't possibly be true. Look at how well-behaved your children are. I went to the pastor. The pastor said, are you still having sex? Yes. Well, are there any fireworks when you have sex? Yeah, it must be okay. So I went to counsel outside of that church, and the counsel was, you go home and submit to your husband. You go home and be a good wife. If you were putting out, you would not have these problems. The church and the women, they were no help. I mean, I may not have been able to put the word abuse on it. I didn't know God's law. But when I read God's Word and the Holy Spirit testifying that this is not what Christian marriage is supposed to look like, as the years went on and there was this emotional abuse and verbal abuse and spiritual abuse, then eventually it grew to be physical. There was a time when I would think, I, I, really, I really did think, if he really did hit me, if he really did shoot me, then people would believe me. Mm -hmm. Because they weren't believing me that there's something wrong here. I couldn't convince them that there was something wrong there. And so how many times do women just, well, go back home and quit trying to, to reach out and quit trying to say to others, something's not right, that we get blamed inappropriately because the law of God is not the standard. We don't want to blame the husband for things. We don't want to blame the wife for things. But the fact is that without the law of God, we don't have a mutual standard and rules of the game to play by. We don't have a way to say, oh, this is out of bounds. With every law of God, there are two kinds of sanctions. One, that he expects to be administered by man. Mm -hmm. And that would be for capital crimes, he prescribes the death penalty. For property crimes, restitution. There are other violations of God's law that he doesn't put into the hands of man to deliver. Right. And vengeance is his, says the Lord. There are plenty of things in scripture that talk in terms of what should be. And when they're not done, or things that shouldn't happen and they are done, that God is going to deal directly with people. So, for example, coveting. I can't necessarily tell if you're coveting. I can't necessarily tell if you're lusting in your own heart. 
there's still violations of God's law, and he's going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But when you have institutionalized blindness and deafness to someone saying, something's not right, help me, and people telling you to just go live with it, no one should take that as male chauvinism or men against women. These are clearly violations of God's law. And my emphasis in dealing with women is that if you know the law of God and you take the time to understand it and figure out the particulars of applying it, that's the best defense you have against people violating the commandments of God against you. Because if it's true that you shouldn't steal, it's also true that people shouldn't steal from you. Right. If it's true you shouldn't kill, it's also true that other people shouldn't kill you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how we get the basis of self-defense and, and all sorts of things. Right. And so now, as married to a Christian man many, many years later, who is not flawless because neither is his wife, the way in which differences of opinion are approached, and I know your husband, is having to do with the law of God. So on looking back on those times of feeling cornered and frustrated and desperate and unheard and all those other things, tell me what God's law and your understanding of it now, how it would have made a difference. Mm. Well, it would have made a huge difference. I want to go back to something um, just just a bit. Uh, the turning point in this relationship happened when, as I said, the abuse escalated to the point of being a physical abuse. And there was a particular day when he called to say he was going to come home for lunch. This was unexpected that he was going to come home for lunch. And so I had peanut butter and jelly and my kids and my sister's kids and a friend's kids. I'm peanut butter and jelly and seven kids. And he comes home from work unexpectedly for his lunch. And he had called to say that he didn't want peanut butter and jelly. He wanted something else. And so when he got home with somebody else, he brought a coworker home with him, walked in the house screaming, where's my lunch? I ran, leaving the seven children, I ran through the house, afraid of my husband, to get him a hot dog. As that situation transpired, you know, he got his hot dog and then wanted to know what was wrong with me. Why wasn't I happy, smiley, little wifey? I explained to him that he had just eaten dinner. Peanut butter and jelly was lunch, hot dogs were dinner, and he just ate dinner. That his anger at the fact that it wasn't on the table when he walked in the door wasn't right. Actually, that escalated to the point of him pushing me, shoving me, and actually shoving me hard enough that I fell against the counter in my kitchen, hurt my back, and landed on the floor under the table. And as he came towards me again, there was something that just really clicked in my head. It was like, if he comes closer, I know that this time somebody isn't, isn't going to survive it. 
So I got up from the, he left by the grace of God. He just walked away. He didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Let me help you up. He didn't come to finish me off. Of course, I was, I was hurt. And when my friend came to pick up her kids, she said to me, the way he treats you offends me. That was a huge statement for me. It was huge. It meant that all this wasn't just in my head. It meant that somebody else thought that what he was doing was wrong. It wasn't just my opinion versus his opinion. Right. So in looking back now, mm-hmm. there, there may be someone listening right now who's in the same situation. But go back to the you of back then. Mm-hmm. Fill in the blanks on what you know now and what you think women should be taught, men should be taught, how people should approach marriage, what it actually means to be yoked and things like that. Because it's no good to just talk about these bad things happen to you because people have bad things that happen to them. We live in a sinful world. Sure. So this experience for it to be useful for you, which I already know it has been useful for you because your thinking has definitely changed. What would you say to Nancy of back then? Well, there was not too many months after that in the context of this stuff happening that I learned increasingly to go back to God's Word and see what God said. Because we can't just rely on if I think this is okay or he thinks it's okay or the neighbor thinks, yeah, it's wrong or not. We have to go back to God's Word and see what God's Word said. So as I learned to do that and gained the confidence to say, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what does God's word say? Because it's from there that we get up off the floor and do right. And there was a lady that I talked to. I don't even know her name. I don't even know her name. But if you're listening, lady, God bless you. She said to me on the phone, you do not need anybody's permission to do the right thing. And so how do we know what the right thing is? We know what the right thing is because God's word tells us. God's word is the standard that I need to come to. God's word is the standard that our husbands have to come to. God's word is the standard that we need to raise our children to. And God's word is the standard as the church that we need to uphold. And we need to not be bashful about saying that. You know, we started this whole story because I didn't know a whole lot about God's Word, but I did know that there was a Bible verse in there that said that God works all things together for good for them that love Him or are called according to His purpose. Well, that was true then, and it's still true now, because what all this did for me was it required that I look for myself to what God's Word says and be willing to stand on it. So... There's a lot of people that are in abusive situations. There's a lot of a lot of people that don't feel like they can get out of that. And I have had people say, oh, it was so brave. It, it really wasn't brave. It was me doing what God said do to live a life that is honoring to God, to protect my family, and to do the right thing. And So it wasn't brave. It was obedient. It was obedience 
It was obedience. And so I had to look at God's word and say, this is what God says. So that's what I have to stand on. And so there was a sense at which all the church, all the people, all the friends, all the everybody, I just had to say, this is what God's word says and close my eyes and close my ears and stand there because God said that's where you stand. It was in that mess and chaos that it did indeed work for good because it taught me that really God's word, it's the only safe place to be. It's the only safe place to be is standing on God's word. Well, let me just say that unfortunately, a lot of women who want to hear it's okay to do the right thing because they know what the right thing is that because of the extended Christian community that wants to do very much like, hey, I didn't throw that naked woman out of the car. It's not, I, I could run into some difficulties here because if you decide to help someone who's being physically, sexually, emotionally abused, whether it's a daughter and a father, a husband and a wife, a brother against a sister, whatever it is, it's going to take involvement. It might mm-hmm. get messy. Mm-hmm. Somebody, yeah. might, somebody might say, you're a busybody. Somebody might say, don't help anybody because you don't know if she's telling the truth. I mean, abuse is subjective. Just like a lot of people told you it was subjective. They were basically saying, you got punched, but I don't think it hurt very much. And you're saying, no, it actually hurts. And they go, no, it doesn't look like it hurts. Mm-hmm. I don't see any scars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you probably deserved it. Exactly. And whether or not we deserve it, whether or not a woman is dressed thoroughly provocatively and as a result a man rapes her, doesn't mean the man was right, nor does it mean that she was right for dressing provocatively. Mm-hmm. But the correlation right. isn't the causation, mm-hmm. but it's correlated. All right. You know, right. And what speaks to me is today women aren't so much wanting to call themselves feminists or not, but they want to call themselves independent. I don't need I don't need my family's protection. I don't need anybody's protection. I, I can take care of myself. And that only works as long as it works. And then when it doesn't work, people have isolated themselves that obviously your family, his family, weren't places to go to get help. Mm-mm. No. And you know, there was a time, I mean, he was a hunter, he had guns, and you get told often enough that he's going to kill me, that you start to believe him. And I actually asked a family member to remove the guns from my house because of what was happening. And they removed the guns, but didn't know how to help otherwise. And then as you go to the family social services to, to try and get help, that system can be manipulated. But the thing is that there's, still, there's consequences for violating God's law. I didn't know what was right. My parents didn't know it or didn't teach it to me. The church didn't know it or didn't teach it to me. Family social services didn't know it or didn't teach it. But my husband actually went to jail rather than pay child support. There's consequences. If, if we don't know, if we're not self-governing people within the family, we don't govern, then it moves to another sphere and there's an attempt to govern it there. Sometimes that happens right, sometimes not, but God will not be mocked. It is a sad, sad thing to us that he, he passed away recently with a brain tumor. 
Now, some people would say that that was the cause of all of this, you know, previous difficulty and that he was a very sweet man and would sing songs about Jesus. There's a lot of... I think there's a lot of wishful thinking. I'd like, let's make this story end nicely. Yeah. And you know what, Nancy, you're now remarried and, you know, just forgive and forget. Sure. But let's look at it this way. Everybody who has a brain tumor doesn't go around doing what your husband did. No. Okay. So let's not, let's not slander people with brain tumors. That's right. Right. Could it have affected him? Yes. Certainly. But, but you know what? If you're governed by God's word... And you hear a voice in your head, or you get this idea that what I'm going to do is go shoot up a school. God's word will say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go get some help right now because I know I'm not supposed to go shoot up a school. It's Mm -hmm. wrong to shoot up a school. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to find somebody who will help me and go, you got to help me because right now I'm having these feelings. I'm having these thoughts and I know they're not right. It's a cop out to say, I'm only human or I didn't know better, I did the best I could. All those sound really good. They do. Except God's word tells us that people know the truth. People know when they're violating God's word. They mm-hmm. know it. Mm-hmm. It's in their heart. Mm-hmm. That he created them that way. If, if he didn't, if, he didn't cre- if, if we inherit sin, but we are not created to know right and wrong, then he's really a trickster kind of God. He doesn't expect us to do anything that he has other than he's enabled us to do. So true, you may not know the particulars of the gospel. You may not know the particulars of all God's law because that's not written in your heart until such time as you're a believer and that heart of stone is turned into the heart of flesh. But you know it's wrong. Mm -hmm. The reason being is he probably didn't go announce to his worker friends or to the church, by the way, I pushed my wife and she hit her head. There wasn't repentance. But he knew it was wrong. He didn't advertise it. Mm-hmm. Or he made light of it. Rather than just leave it that women are victims and we've got, you know, come on, sisters, we got to get stronger, whatever. No, everybody needs to know God's word and judge righteous judgments. Right. We're not told not to judge. We are told to judge righteous judgments. And when those who are there to help us and are supposed to help us don't judge those righteous judgments, then they're bystanders that have liability on their own. Mm -hmm. And we call them accomplices after the fact. Because Mm -hmm. if he had killed you, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there have been a lot of people who would have shown up at your funeral. She was such a sweet woman. Well, you know, I've often thought and said that if it weren't for the grace of God, I would be dead. I would be crazy. I would be in jail. The Lord, he did change my heart. He did give me his word. He did give me the spirit. He did give me the strength to move forward in that direction. And if we don't recognize that, then we're not really really serving God of Scripture. We're just serving ourselves. We're making up our religion as we go along. We really have to look at God's Word and know God's Word so that we can judge righteous judgment instead of just choosing based on our, our personal preference, somebody else's opinion. 
or how people will view us. Who, who wants anybody to think that there's problems in your marriage? Right. Things like that. Right. Well, I hope that women and men who are listening to this understand that when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what's being discussed there is the justice of God, the law of God. Mm-hmm. And Andrea, I think that it's important to recognize that when we say that we seek first the kingdom of God, it's not something that happens after we die, that we don't just make sure that we've got our get out of hell free card. <laughs> you know, when we're told to seek first the kingdom of God, that means that we recognize that, first of all, that there is a king, that king has rules, that king has jurisdiction, that king has priority, and what he says goes, not what somebody else prefers. So this is the Kingdom Driven Family podcast. We will acknowledge that if you're in a family, even if you desire to extend God's rule into every area of your life, there's going to be sin that manifests itself. The remedy is to confess it and receive God's forgiveness. The remedy is not to ignore it, nor to decide, I'm pretty good most of the time, because if we break one portion of the law, we've broken it all. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's why we receive God's remedy for individual sins, but the, there is no remedy for our original sin. It had to be paid for. It had to receive God's wrath, and we receive it appropriated to us by Jesus' substitutionary atonement. So we never want to make light of it and just say, once saved, always saved, or you know, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're under the blood when mm-hmm. we're not following the law because those who are truly under the blood will want to follow the law they may have lapses but it won't be a permanent lapse because the holy spirit will convict them of their sins so we need to call sin sin and recognize that there's no virtue in letting somebody beat you up no there's not when we talk about jesus paying the penalty for our sin it doesn't mean that he's now left us let us off the hook it means that he really did pay a penalty. He, he paid the penalty that was due us. He didn't just erase it and say, oh, that's okay. You didn't really mean to do it. No, he, he really did pay the penalty by virtue of the fact that he did pay that penalty and he has called us to himself and we belong to him now. As God's children, as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to be able to say to one another and to that new one that comes, no, honey, you you don't have to bathe in the mud puddle anymore. God has given us his word, a new life, a new way of thinking, a new operation. And he didn't just adopt us into his family to, to stay in that place of degradation. Exactly. I appreciate the fact that you retold a painful story. The listeners can't see you. I saw you as you were telling me, and I could see the look on your face. And I could see things that were very vivid. It wasn't like you were having a hard time picturing this and remembering it. But praise God mm-hmm. that your voice can be a voice that helps women and will also help men and will also help people who want to blame one side or the other and recognize this isn't about blame. This is about pursuing righteousness, knowing what it is, 
And there are plenty of people who will help those who have questions maneuver through that. Yes. And with that, I'll say thank you, Nancy. Appreciate your transparency and your willingness to demonstrate how God has worked all things together for the good in your life. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.